Hello everyone, welcome to Being Loving of Our Minds. My name is Kyla Warman, your host, and today we will be challenging our minds to fully comprehend what is race. In today's society, the concept of race and ethnicity have never been more important to grasp, but they've also never been so complicated to untangle. So today you'll be hearing from a critical thinker who has studied very deeply about what race is and from students across America who have done great work in bringing up the conversation of race in their communities. Let's get into it. So to start us off, I'm joined by three Princeton Prize and Race Relations winners who have been recognized by Princeton Prize and the work that they have been doing in their communities in racial reconciliation. So can you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'm Hannah Neal. I'll be a freshman at Vanderbilt this fall. Um, my name is Kayla Webster, and I am a junior who attends North Carolina A&T. Hi, my name is Calvin Bell, um, and I'll be a rising sophomore at Morehouse. All right, everyone. Well, welcome. So to get us started, I'm going to be asking you guys a question, and then we're going to be listening to a great interview I had, and then afterwards, we're going to come back and discuss about it. So to start us off, what does race mean to you? Or what do you think of when you think of race? And I know that's a loaded question, so just try to summarize it and just say what kind of pops into your head. Race to me is a social construct that was created by white people to create divisiveness among people of color and to make white people feel, um, quote unquote, better than other people because of the pigmentation of our skin and the way they have embedded this into our society using systemic racism has just caused a trickle down effect that we've seen when race was first really established when the first slaves landed in America. I definitely think you're onto something. What about you, Calvin? Just piggybacking off of that, I, I really think that it has morphed into something that's not only uh, the, about the phenotype, the physical, but also the social aspect. Um, race. Uh, when you think about Black, white, um, when you think about the Asian community, when you think about the Indian community, a lot of these things are categorized not only on the basis of what we look like physically, um, because we know we all originated from one central place, Africa, and the reason why our skin colors are different is due to the fact of the sun and where, our, where we grew up region-wise. But then when you go even deeper into the aspect of race and what really gives distinct meaning to someone being Black, someone being Asian, someone being white, is the social aspect where they grew up, um, the type of morals that they were given, the type of relational aspects that they have with one another, the type of shared understanding of growth, um, the sh shared understanding of what it's like to be in the shoes of that person, which is why you can go deeper into the power dynamic in an interracial relationship or someone adopting uh, a child that is black, although they are a white couple. There is a lot of things that we can relationally understand when we are around each other based on the basis of our race. Yeah, I think Kayla and Calvin really broke it down. For me personally, when I'm looking at race, I think fundamentally it is that physical characteristic, but um, it's also become a tool to divide and to uphold different agendas or really to uphold white supremacy. I think we often use race to um, 
push this agenda of diversity and inclusivity, but when we are talking about race fundamentally, it's who you are. Um, so this does go into something a little different, but race is not diversity. And I think we have to begin accepting that idea as a society that um, putting a few black people in a room um, of a, like with majority white counterparts, that's not diversity, that's not inclusivity. Race is just your, the color of your skin. It's, that's it's nothing more than that really. I just wanted to add race is, the reason we call race a social construct is because the people who had the power, well, the power that they took from others in this case, they deemed it to be negative. They deemed Black people to be less than them. And it's crazy to see history, how race has really evolved into this, into this thing that, like Calvin said, doesn't just, um, that impacts you socially, as well as like economically, um, your demographics or where you live, race has really began to contribute into all facets of society. Yeah, guys, this is all so great. And I'm so excited for you guys to listen to her because I think you guys are going to agree on a lot of different things. So let's go ahead and let's tune in. Hello everyone, I am joined by Nayet Yokoli, who spent 15 years working as a print and television journalist, advertising strategist, speechwriter, and corporate communication specialist in Trinidad and Tobago. Between 2015 and 2017, she worked and studied at Villanova University, where she researched Colin Kaepernick's protests and her extensive research over the protests would be published as her master's thesis titled, Say It Ain't So, Reframing Colin Kaepernick's Biraciality as a white supremacist constitution. Now, Naya is a doctoral candidate at the University of Maryland, researching the rhetorics of race. Naya, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kayla. All right, so to get us started, I want to just talk a little bit about racist history and really where it originated from. All right, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of times when race comes up in, in the media, when we hear about race, when it's on the news, if it turns up on TV, if it turns up in, in music, um, and in our daily lives, we sort of treat race as a given reality, as um, the categories that people are divided into, as things that have always existed. But scholarship has shown that the way we divide people into categories, the way we perceive human diversity, and what we should do about that diversity has evolved over time. And for America in particular, that would have happened in the 17th century when they first introduced the um, enslaved population from Africa to work as labor in the, um, in the then colonies, in, in Virginia in particular. And so what we have was a group of people who would have come as, uh, as slaves who would not be able to earn money, who didn't have any rights per se. And then there would have been indentured laborers from other parts of the world who came on very bad contracts, but contracts nonetheless, right? And contracts that may not have been upheld. So people came from Europe, um, from Ireland, from different places to work as, as very poorly paid labor, but they did come with the assurance that they would be paid and they would be treated a certain way. For a very long time, um, the enslaved populations and these other populations existed side by side. They would eventually come to have um, relationships that were based on economics. And so the lowest stratas of society, um, there, was, there was a lot of solidarity that was developing and the elite began to feel who to give it to. The best way to tell who to give it to is outward marking. 
And so if it was tribal, it could have been based on a person's dress or the jewelry they wore, they wore or some sort of religious symbol that they might have carried. But in the United States, the easiest way to do this is with color at that point in time. And so this is the invention of whiteness and by extension, the invention of modern day race that we refer to when we talk about race in the United States. Does that answer your question? Yes, that does. Um, and so you spoke a little bit about like the outward marking. Do you feel like that is how you can define race today is by outward markings? Well, I think there are a lot of people who do, right? I, I you know, in my own research now, I'm very interested in genetic testing and how people interpret the results of a genetic test. Now, I will say from the outset that my perspective on racial division and understanding race is based in communication, which is where I come from. I come from rhetoric. And so I'm very much concerned with how we name things and when we name it, what that name does for that thing, wherever that thing might be. And in my case, it's race, right? So when I say that I am a black person, what does that mean? What does that mean for the hero who is not black? What does that mean for the hero who is black? What does that mean for my child? What does that mean for me, right? And so I think that there are a lot of people who don't give the idea of race a second thought and automatically go to the biological. They don't see it as a construct. They understand that there are constructed things associated with it. We can think about something like um, education or housing segregation, things that are based on race that had nothing to do with the actual race itself, but help to make those groups um, seem more separate geographically, financially, etc. And people generally don't think through it. So when someone identifies as black or white, they're not thinking I'm part of this socially constructed category. They're talking about how they look, right? That's what they mean when they say I'm black, I'm Asian, I'm white. Um, if someone broke into your house and pointed a gun at you and the police say, what does this person look like? And you say it was a white man. You're not talking about his privilege. You're not talking about his ancestry. You're talking about the color of his skin, the texture of his hair, the color of his eyes, right? And so by and large, as people, we think that race is biological. We just accept it as a way of seeing the world. Um, I don't think that it's biological. I think that our visuals are both determined by and supported by um, social constructions. Um, there is a writer called Jacobson, I can't remember his first name, but his book is called Whiteness of a Different Color. And he talks about how whiteness, how, how whiteness has evolved in the United States over time. First to exclude some people, for example, um, Italians were not white for a very long time. The Irish were not white. And they're indisputably white now, right? And what he's saying is that this shift shows us that the political and the social can affect what we see. Because Irish people were seen and people would say, but that's not a white man, right? Even though now there's no way to tell the difference. There's no way to argue that an Irish person in the United States, in Ireland, is not a white person, right? Yeah. And so Jacobson had said, has said that the social affects our ability to see. I give the example of Barack Obama all the time in the country that I come from. There are people, Barack Obama's skin color, and I've been pretty close to him. I've seen him in real life. I've shook his hand. I, I know what color he is, quote unquote, right? And there are people in the country I come from who refer to themselves as white, who are Barack Obama's color. 
But in the United States, he is not white. He's clearly the first black president, even though he has a white parent. And so, yes, the biological plays a role, but the biological is often skewed. The phenotype, facial features, hair texture, things like that are often skewed by the moment that we live in, right? We see through the lens of our political moment. And so, no, I don't think that the biological, you can't throw the baby out of the bathwater. It is important for people's, um, for identity to embrace whatever you are, to name it something, to like it, whatever you might name it. But I also think that we have to be careful not to let the political moment um, influence what we see to the extent that we're unable to see for ourselves what a thing might be. And so how can we practice making sure that that doesn't take place, that the way that policies and the way that our government has defined whiteness and those types of things, how can we make sure that we find the definition for ourselves? Well, I think, I think that there overall, and, and this is where my writing tends to what, and I will tell you, it's a very difficult process because I don't think anybody in academia wants to say, you know, let's make race go away. Like it's, it's too rich a field to just get rid of it, right? Um, but I do think that part of the solution is understanding diversity for what it is and not for the political categories that it can fill. So for example, inside of what we call blackness, there is a lot of diversity. So much diversity that there are people from the African continent, the San people in particular, who if you move them out of Africa could easily fit into places in the Mediterranean, could easily fit into some places in Asia, even close to Russia, right? They look like people from those places. The San people are also actually like the genetic forebears of a lot of people on earth. So they have a really complex genetic code and it's something that they've passed on that's, you know, sort of been dissipated over countries, right? So they're like the ancestors of a lot of, of modern people. I think that understanding what diversity is, understanding nuance inside of groups, understanding that there's, you can be different colors inside of a political category, um, not sort of tagging political and social movements with racial names, not labeling, yes, hip hop is, is, is came from, from blackness, but it's possible to be Eminem. So not taking hip hop and, and just sort of pushing it to the side and saying, this is a black thing because it's, it's, it ceased to be a black thing for a very long time. That culture has been permeated by people who have been appropriating it, yes, but the existence of the Kardashians, the existence of Eminem, the existence of people who originally did not belong to that so-called group shows that it has less to do with race than it has to do with culture or ethnicity or location, right? What is that? There's a, a sort of strange um, rap music. I think it's called hick, hick Hop, right? And it is like deep South people who should be singing country music, they have their own genre of hip hop, right? So hip hop is clearly not something that is reserved for blackness. It's not something that came from the genetic code of black people. It may have been something that came from the struggle of black people in the United States. It may have been something that started in that group because of where they lived and how they lived. 
and all of that belongs to the black community. But if we make hip hop black music, then we create a division where it's not necessary, right? There are other groups that are involved now and we have to accept that it's not an inherently black thing. Some, and in the same way, we then take away those negatively inherently black things that get placed on black people all the time because they work, they're two sides of the same coin. Once you base a cultural movement, habits or behavior, positive habits or behavior on genetics, then it is possible to base negative habits and behavior on genetics as well. So if you think that there's something special about athletes, black athletes that make them superior, then you can think that there's something special about black students that makes them inferior, right? And so sort of moving away from labeling social, political, economic movements as racial is a good way to take the blinders off when it comes to perceiving people, right? When it comes to what we see when we look at someone. Because if I see someone dressed a certain way associated with a certain culture, I can easily put them in that category. I could say this is a black person. But if I move like Rachel Dolezal, for example, it was really easy to make Rachel Dolezal, uh, Dolezal a, a black woman. People perceived her as black because of where she was and what she was doing. As soon as she was outed for being a white woman posing as black, it became abundantly clear that she was a white woman posing as black. It was immediately obvious. And that was because working with the NAACP, championing the causes that she did, saying the things that she said, dressing the way she dressed with her hairstyle, we, were, we put a racial label on it where no racial label was necessary. So I think taking racial labels off of things that aren't racial, that, aren't, that have nothing to do with genetics, nothing to do with phenotype, is the first step to sort of um, giving us a clearer view of why people are different. Yeah, and so I'm just curious, how does that affect how we define Black culture then? If there's not specific things, like you said, like hip hop, like so, a lot of people would refer to that as a part of Black culture. And then you get into the issue of cultural appropriation and that type of thing. So how do we look at Black culture from that perspective? So culture is different from race, right? Ethnicity is different from race. The way a group of people behave, it's possible for a group of people from different racial backgrounds to get together, right? To look completely different, get together and practice something together and for it to be cultural, right? So it is possible to have Black culture that originated among Black people at a certain point in time that no longer belongs entirely to blackness. Just because black culture started, it's like jazz. Just because jazz started with black people does not mean that other people don't play it now, right? right? And the problem with the, the names though, the problem with the labels, I, I say this to people all the time. When Donald Trump says African-American, do you think in his head, he's making a distinction between African-American, Negro, and the N-word? Do you think that Donald Trump is seeing three different people, three different eras, three different ways of saying something? No, if someone perceives all black people in a certain way, no matter what word they use, they have this one image in their head that they're working with. And I think that at certain points in history, yes, it was concentrated in blackness. Yes, it came, hip hop came from New York. There's no question about it. 
it it is it is a black thing but then it got picked up by other people and the question is is hip-hop in its current incarnation a black musical form anymore or do we have contributions from so many other places that it is now a thing unto itself when you have there are things that that black families in the united states have practiced for a very long time right um i don't want to use any stereotypes here but the food that is made in black families is the the you know the comfort and, and the practices church life that type of thing yes that is that is black but do other people do it as well and do all black families do it so the issue then becomes what requires the phenotypical label because when we say black if we go back to the beginning of this conversation how do i know that someone is black i have to see them right what does hip-hop have to do with how somebody looks because when we argue about black culture in that way without being nuanced without having very sophisticated ways of breaking apart what is happening we are in fact saying that hip-hop is genetically passed down in the same way that skin color is passed down. And the passage of skin colors are a very complicated thing, right? So the passage of hip hop would also be an extremely complicated thing. And by saying that, then you're saying that there are behaviors that people have as a group that can be passed on from generation to generation. And that is inherently dangerous because that is the argument that racists and white supremacists make about black people, right? That they're inherently lazy, that it's passed down right? So if we can't pass laziness and backwardness, right, then we should not be able to pass the, the, the ability to rap. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be. That's something that you learn in a community through exposure, and it is possible to take other people from other communities and include them in yours, and they will learn it too. I mean, Afrobeats is one of those really interesting things where the dancing associated with Afrobeats is coming directly from Africa and little white children all over the United States are doing it. And it's because they're exposed to it. So in that way, yes, the culture originated in black communities, but does it require the black label? Like, is it necessary to say that this is associated in some way with phenotype? Because that's what we say when we say black, unless we say black and we mean something else, in which case, my recommendation was, would be that we have to be very specific about what we mean when we say Black. So the distinction I make in my head is when I talk about phenotype, I think about African diaspora. I think about people whose ancestors came from Africa. When I say Black culture, when I say Black practice, I'm thinking about the things that African Americans in the United States made after slavery, between slavery and now. And so if I define it in those ways, when I say black culture i am not talking about hair texture i'm not talking about anything genetically passed down i'm talking about what happens when you enslave a couple million people and put them to live in close quarters and don't give them opportunity and don't give them money and don't feed them well what will they make this is what they will make i totally understand i just wanted to clarify because i think ethnicity and race can get confused a little bit so can you just define those words for us well, we'd have to start with the definition of race, right? And there are lots of people who do that differently because there's biological race. And that 
you know, in medical literature in particular, there's this emphasis on the difference between people biologically. And it's a really bad history, especially in the United States and in Europe as well, of biological race, because the idea is that um, people with different phenotypes are in some way inherently different and experience pain and experience illness and experience disease differently, right? So there's that definition. Then there's the social construction definition of race, where we talk about race as something that's created. And I talked about the labels earlier on and how those labels get into the law, how they get into, um, into policy, how they get into immigration policy, how they get into housing, school, et cetera. Ethnicity is about practice, right? Ethnicity is about language. It is about, um, it's about practice. It's not something that you give to somebody through um, descent, right? So for all the definitions of race and ethnicity, the difference is what do I get through descent and what do I make as a community? So do you believe how we define blackness today will change in the next hundred years? Well, yeah, that is, that, that's interesting. So I think that, Again, the definitions are important because the definitions of blackness vary from person to person, right? right? I think of myself as a black woman because I am a descendant of African slaves. Um, I may think of myself as black because of the culture, cultural practices that I partake in. Um, I might see myself as, as black because of a combination of those things. Um, how white people define me. And this is an interesting, I'll just give you a, a brief story. Where I come from in Trinidad, um, I am physically, I look like a group of people who are the mixture of East Indians and Africans, right? Whenever they get together, they sort of produce dark skinned, curly haired children. And those children are known as Douglas, right? And so in the Caribbean, we have many incarnations of this. We have the Chinese an Indian mix, we have the Chinese and African mix, we have the Indian and African mix. It's all very sophisticated and there are all sorts of things involved in it. But I grew up with this identity as a person who was descended from slaves, but also descended from China and also descended from other places. And so when I came to the United States and I became black, that's it, black slash African-American, when I went to Villanova University, nobody gave a damn where half my ancestry was from. My skin meant everything. You are a black woman in this country. You are African-American. Before they heard me speak, they decided I was African-American and that was it. Now, nothing is wrong with being African-American, right? And many times I never bothered to argue about it because, okay, fine. That suits me just fine. But also the absence of nuance, the loss of nuance, right? the loss of so much of me. I realized that black defined hair and black defined where I came from were two very different things. And so I don't think it will take a hundred years for the definition of black to change. I think the definition of black changes daily. I think the definition of black evolves depending on the political moment. I think that when Asian Americans get into a Black Lives Matter protest and stand on the front lines and move away from the, um, model stereotype of the sort of bridge between whiteness and blackness and decide that they're going to protest because George Floyd was killed, I think blackness takes on a different shade on that day. And I think that's a very different story when 
um, Asian Americans are, not, are then attacked in New York City by Black people and Blackness changes again. So I think it's really, that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why I don't like, the, I don't like those labels because they change in the discursive moment. Whatever the moment requires, whiteness will become in that moment. Whatever the political moment requires, blackness will become in that moment. So I think between March 2020 and now, the definition of blackness has changed. And I think that a hundred years from now, you know, I once had a friend who has now died who used to tell me that every we'll just make brown babies and then there'll be no more race. And I'm like, no, because then we'll start to divide along a continuum of brown. Who's the dark brown? Who's the light brown? Who's the middle brown? I mean, we do it now, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like it's going to take 100 years, but I do think that it will look, the way that we define in 100 years might be a little bit more complicated than it is now. As society changes, we continue to redefine. Yeah. I thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I think this has been a great conversation and I cannot wait to continue the conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. I'm really happy to be a part of your podcast. I think you're doing a wonderful thing. And I really want to hear what the discussion sounds like. I hope that there will be some pushback. Pushback is one of my favorite things. So I'm really looking forward to hear what your colleagues have to say. Well, thank you so much, Miss Nyatt, for joining me today. And I'm super excited to hear what they have to say. Let's go ahead and listen in. So we just listened to an amazing interview. And I'm curious to hear you all's thoughts and perceptions on what she had said. She brought up a lot of really good points. Um, one of the things she said that I didn't really think about was how um, our definition of race really changes with the political time frame that we're in. Um, and I really just thought about this really um, like during so many different time periods in the United States from um, enslavement with African-Americans to um, the Jim Crow era to really like the civil rights era to now. And it's really interesting to see the way that um, this idea of race has evolved. But I think it's also important to note that um, I don't think it's just white people who are defining this definition of race for us or specifically what is blackness. I think that we as the black community play a large role in that too. Um, even when you look today of the way that we've divided this community into dark skin, brown skin, light skin, you know, and trying to define for people what blackness is, um, also defining what race is. I agree, I do, but I also just like, I guess I personally view it as when we talk about race, I think of racism, which is very much systemic based and the way it was placed in the system, it was made into the system, no matter what complexion of black you are at the end of the day, you are still black. And because you come from this ancestry of darker skin, Africa, you are deemed this way and this is why you are to be treated this way. And that's why I always talk about white race as like, someone said it best, like a white person's problem. Like racism is really a white person's problem because they created it. Um, as she said in her podcast, the first like documentation, someone being called white or talking about whiteness was in Virginia. Like th it was all economic based for the longest time. So in dealing with race and how to handle race, my question, I guess, and my frustration sometimes come from like, how do we handle and how do we combat something 
that we ultimately at the end of the day never created. But I also do understand your point as we as Black people in the Black community cannot keep being divisive and try to be separated through color because at the end of the day, we all are Black, period. And I think you both made some great points because like you guys are coming from different perspectives in the way that it's like you're seeing it from, okay, this is who started it. And Hannah is seeing it more so from, okay, but black people are beginning to change it. And we are able to kind of change the course of where it's going. And that kind of brings into the question of when I talk to her about how do we see race or what does race look like in the next hundred years? Well, it's always changing we're able to have some impact on that. I would jump in and say that I think the initial definition of what race was, the categorization of it, was laid down by whiteness. Um, and and in the sense of whiteness, American whiteness, English whiteness, and, and those that were colonizing certain areas. And, and so that was the initial definition. But then I even go back to this idea of it, even in this instance, there is still a sense of categorization, although we know um, that historically, um, and, and, and you look at genealogy and genetics, that we're all Black, there is still foundation of separation there. When the first humans were on this earth, and we realized, okay, we are living organisms, but I must hunt animals or fish or something like that, that is already separating us from one another. People, I, I remember someone saying that I was a species because, which is not even a word, but I was species because I see myself different from that of animals. Um, but in the same instance, somebody would say you are living animals, we're all living creatures. In the same instance of Black whiteness, um, if you're Asian, if you're Indian, um, that there is still, whether it would be systemic or not, there is still a sense of categorization laid down in the foundation, the makeup of what we know of as America. And, and so what I like that she said is the social aspect that I was talking about initially, which is the idea that um, we categorize certain traditions, certain um, genres of music, um, certain um, areas, to a group of people. Um, but do we ever think about the way in which by saying that solely hip hop, the example she gave hip hop is black people's stuff um, or black people's genre of music. Um, by saying that, do we pull away or uh, do we lack knowledge of the fact that people, a large group really investing in hip hop music are is white people and then when we, when white people are taking in hip hop music um, and, and investing so much money in it, um, are they not acknowledging the roots of where hip hop music came from? And so there is such a power dynamic when it comes to social aspects of the world that I, I truly agree with her that um, we must think about a little bit more when we try to categorize certain traditions, certain aspects of life to a group of people. From your like your question that you I don't know I don't remember if you asked this but your question about um, what did you get from her podcast or did your mindset like change or expand and I it did because she really emphasized the importance of your tongue especially of being a black 
a black woman for me personally, but also differentiating between what is race and what is ethnicity, because ethnicity you can you can see uh, like genealogically um, through like your ancestry, but race, it's like Hannah Neal said, and we all agreed upon that it's just it's fluid. Yeah, so Calvin said something, um, you agreed with something that she had said on how hip hop itself is an inherently black culture. And um, to an extent, she was kind of saying that we can't just solely claim it as ours when we have different people taking part of hip hop as a whole. But that's actually where I would disagree because I think that we can base certain things off of genetics as long as we are understanding the way that that's going to impact us or the way that's impacting it now. And then I think what's important to recognize here is that Black people should be allowed to have racial labels because it it's what preserves our community. And Kyla, you, um, you asked her about like, what is Black culture if we are allowing people to take things that are part of our culture or removing racial labels from it. I think if we give off every single thing that's part of our culture, like hip hop or whatever that may be, we lose the Black culture. We, we lose the Black community as a whole, honestly. And the thing is, why is it always that the Black community has to be the exception? If I take something um, uh, from an, like an Asian culture, an Asian tradition, I don't get to start calling that mine just because a group of us start doing that it remains Asian culture. It's the same thing with Black people. It doesn't matter if every single white person in the world wants to start claiming hip-hop culture as theirs or start producing hip-hop music. It's still not their culture, and we don't have to make an exception for them. The Asians aren't making an exception. And, uh, Latinos aren't making an exception. So why is it that we as Black people have to remove that racial label because other people are taking part in it? And it's okay that other people are taking part in it. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. What I'm saying is that they need to understand that this is something that is so fundamental to our culture and fundamental to our existence as a whole. Well, and I think that it is important okay, that we allow others that they can participate in, you know, hip hop music and that thing. But I think it's important that they also have, they have to be able to acknowledge where it came from. That's the worst whenever someone not only wants to take something, but they want to also claim it. And I think a lot of people lack education and then that's where it begins to get lost. A lot of our history um, as a black community starts to get lost because people are just uneducated. I, I think that's where I was getting from what she was saying is that we must acknowledge the fact that there are people that are going to interact with these social aspects that we deem our own. But at the same time, which is truly a paradox, that that group must also do the same in acknowledging its roots. And that's where I was truly gaining from it. I could see, I could see the, the both sides of it, that, that what she was saying could give someone a uprouse, someone wondering, oh, what, what does that even mean? Are you trying to take away the things that are truly ours or should truly be defined as ours, uh, categorizing what black com the black community is? Um, but it's even the same aspect of what I was talking about. When you have a melting pot of cultures between a marriage, or you have, you're welcoming in someone that you adopted that is not of your race. You must also know that the interacting of these social aspects of what your, your race is or where, where you came from are going to be coming together. I know that sometimes where there is someone who traditionally has a wedding, an Indian wedding, 
and someone they marry someone who is white, they might have two different styles of weddings um, because that truly is welcoming in that other person into their tradition. However, we solely know this is Indian tradition or this is Catholic tradition. This is Christian tradition. Um, and, and so I think it gives it true character, but in the state and the, the period that we're in right now, we are truly in a, a place of melting pot of cultures, a melting pot of social traditions um, that, that we as a community cannot, like you said, gatekeep those social traditions, um, even though we can say that those are truly defined as the roots of Black people. And so I was also curious what you all thought about defining Blackness through all of what she talked about. How would you guys define Blackness now? Blackness, honestly, is the diaspora of just being Black. Everyone thinks of Blackness as this monolithic thing. They eat fried chicken. They listen to hip hop. They enjoy BET. They watch football. They're good at sports. That's not Blackness. Blackness is the ability of like the enslaved people being able to persist in history despite every other group trying to put us down in every way, shape, or form. That's how I view Blackness. It's, it's being able to be proud of the history you have, not the history that you, were, that you, were, that you had the choice to create, but knowing you have that history of hurt, but not allowing that to stop you from doing what's right, persisting and doing what you want to do with your life and being able to stand up against all odds and I guess, quote unquote, be that exception or not fit the mold of Blackness. Blackness is not fitting a mold. Blackness just happens to be like the darker brown pigmentation of my skin, but it's just the melanated individual who can determine Blackness for themselves. It's not monolithic at all, if that answers the question. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that goes into the, it's an ever-changing definition because each person can individualize it for themselves. Yeah, I definitely agree with Kayla's answer. And I think it ties to what we heard on um, how race is biological, is not necessarily biological, but a social contract, a construct. Um, but I don't think this is something that's necessarily mutually exclusive. I think race and blackness is both. So blackness is biological, it's the color of your skin, but it's also um, cultural. And I think that it has evolved in many different ways. Um, really, when we're looking at like the 1920s being one eighth black was blackness and now when we're looking at it now it kind of goes back to what I've said about um, how the black community has also shaped what blackness is it's um, it's really cultural and it's I guess everyone decides what blackness is for themselves yeah I, I feel like you guys hit it on the nail on the head and and truly to sum it up in short words I would say that um, it is it it is something that is defined by its people um, through the talents, through the, the projects that we create, through the ideas that we alliterate, um, through the, the conversations that we have. There's a, a sign of achievement, excellence, and persistence that comes within Blackness. And I think it's, it, it, it at first looks like something that is only physical, but it's truly something that is tangible by those of its people. 
Each individual in this episode today came with unique backgrounds and perspectives that ultimately reflect the diversity within how we define race for ourselves. I challenge you to have conversations with friends around you and to challenge yourself to think outside of the bias and stereotypes society has created and allow others to just explain who they are for themselves without your preconceived notions. And I don't believe the concept of race will disappear for a long time because even if you don't like to talk about it or you say, oh, I don't see color or I don't see race. Well, I'm sorry to let you know, but it's ingrained in our minds to see races and create bias around that. So at this point in time, it's more beneficial to talk about it and acknowledge it so that we can begin to break bias and stereotypes created about races. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and please go ahead and share this episode and go to Bloom's Twitter and let me know what you thought about this episode. See you next time on Bloom.